I'm John McDougall. Uh, this is my wife, Jennifer. Um, we moved to uh, Leavenworth, Lansing area, and uh, we looked around uh, at one other church, really, before we came here, and the second we walked in the doors, um, it felt like a church we, uh, the church we met at, actually. Felt like home. I don't know that we were ever consistent with our giving before um, due to stress of finances and things like that, but we both had this um, had this feeling that, you know, we, we needed to, it was time to actually um, be a bit more obedient in terms of uh, giving of our finances. And we knew that our giving wouldn't be a huge amount, so that's why we also doubled down with giving money and our time. Yeah. Like, all of this is exciting to me and how much you can see the excitement from Casey, from the other leaders, mm -hmm. and seeing the action steps being taken rather than... I, I was impressed by the fact that Unshakable was a two-year-long right. goal and that it didn't fizzle out and yeah. it is still going strong. Yeah. Having grown up in the church, I've seen a lot of people burned by building campaigns in the past and uh, specifically around building campaigns and um, always feeling like the church is always asking for more money and for more money. But um, having been to the Pathfinder Summit, hearing that we are putting certain things on hold just because the money's not there yet um, and the, it's too costly um, to continue in is um, a great way of continuing that to show that stewardship of the funds that we do give and it um, it makes me trust um, the staff even more um, with the money that we do give. Yeah, the character shows that the money is going to be used diligently and it's not a scam. I don't want to say scam. I don't edit that out. <laughs> uh <laughs> Finding Westside really solidified that this is where God wants us. And we still question that at times of what exactly, what all do you have for us here, God? But with giving and being in this community, it has grown my faith to say, God has us here for a reason and God will help us take care of all the rest. Yeah. Do you thank the McDougals? Yeah. You know, there, there are some of us here that you're like the McDougals. You've just been a part of our church family for less, maybe less than a year now. And so you're like new to Unshakable. Maybe you've learned about Unshakable. And, and if you are new to Unshakable, this is what we believe. And um, we believe like the McDougals, uh, we believe your story can be an unshakable story. And we believe every story can be an unshakable story when we build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus. This is the reality. It's, it's about building our lives on the solid rock of Jesus. This is what Unshakable is all about. And we're at the midpoint of this journey, of this uh, generosity journey that we are on, uh, building an unshakable faith. And that's our, our, our ultimate commitment is our 100%. We, our, our first primary goal is we want every one of us to build an unshakable faith. And we want to release God's unshakable 
love. And last week we passed out a rock solid uh, midpoint guide, which is the midpoint of this unshakable journey. And this is a midpoint uh, guide to this unshakable journey. And if you did not receive your midpoint guide, uh, I want you to just raise your hand right now. We're not going to point you out. We're just going to give you this guide. So go ahead and raise your hand. We want to get this to you. Our host will be coming down. So leave your hands up. For those of you that have your guide, go ahead and get it out. And while I'm doing that, I want to just talk to every one of you that are new with us. Thank you so much for being here with us. And we love to be together with you. For everyone that's watching online, uh, we're grateful. And for those of you that are new with us online, uh, if you're new with us in the room, we have a gift for you we'd love to give you. After today's service, if you'll make your way through our uh, our lobby into our welcome center, a host will be there. And that host would love to give you a gift for being with us as well as share with you four quick things about who we are as a church family. They'll do it in less than four minutes of your time. Also, if you're watching online and you're new with us, we're so grateful to share this time together with you, and we'd love to give you a gift for doing that. Uh, they're posting a link right now to a Connect card. Click that link, fill out that form, and we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, would you help me welcome everyone online and all, all those that are new in the room? Will you let me help me do that right now? Will you? Yeah. So now that everybody has your books, uh, last week I pointed out a couple pages. I want to point out a couple other pages, uh, uh, not other pages. I want to remind you of one of the, the pages. And uh, go to page 13 that we looked at last week. Open that up. Page 13, there was this uh, top section that says, who are you praying for? I've got my names written there, who I'm praying for. I hope you have your names. If you just got your books, I, w- I encourage you to write some names of who you want to find healing. Who in your life that is close to you that you want to find healing? And we've been uh, praying for them this week. And and who are those people? It might be someone who needs spiritual healing, meaning they are far from God and they need that relationship with God to be restored. It might be someone in your life who needs a relational healing. Maybe their marriage is in trouble and they need need God to come in and they need to center their lives on Jesus. They need to find healing in a relationship, Um, maybe a marriage or another relationship. Maybe it's someone who needs physical healing. And you can pray for them. And maybe it's someone who needs mental healing or emotional healing and they need to, they need to find that. And you've been praying for that. And here, I told you last week, I'm every day going to be praying for you as you pray for them. And this is how I've been praying for you every day. I've been praying that you have the opportunity to invite them into a very strategic environment. Invite them either to come on a Sunday, invite them to to watch something online or watch a service online. Invite them to a a group that you're a part of, a a Christ-centered group that you're in. Or or invite them maybe even to your home for dinner or just to come over and have a a coffee or or just share a snack together, a dessert together. Invite them. And I know this is what I I, I just know. You're going to have the opportunity, but I've been praying specifically that you have the courage because that's what we need when we have the opportunity, is the courage to step out with that invitation. Also, on the bottom half of that page is a opportunity for you to write down what your next steps were from last week. I wrote down my next steps or um, my key learning and my next step. And my key learning was God wants me to grow in the grace of giving. And it is an act of God's grace for me to give. So I'm going to participate in that. And you're like, Casey, you're the pastor. You preach that. Why did you write that down? Because I need this just as much as you do. Okay. And today, I encourage you on the next page to write down your key learning and maybe what your next step is for today. For those of you that did receive your, um, your, your books today, I just want to tell you that Commitment Card is a tool to help you. It's a spiritual tool and a practical tool as a, uh, to help guide you in, in what God may be leading you to do. You can just uh, put that in a place that you can uh, be reminded to pray about that. Now, go ahead and um, get out your notes.
get out your notes. We're in the series that we started for the midpoint of this called Solid Rock. And here's a series big idea that we're in. God is generous. And he wants you to excel in the grace of generosity. God is generous. This is his nature. All throughout scripture, we discover the generosity of our God. From the beginning of time, when he, when, when he, through all things, he creates it by giving it life. Just the fact that he gives, anytime you see God give, it's an act of generosity. And throughout scripture, we discover this thread that's woven all through these texts that are written over these thousands of years. And it's this one truth that everything we have, everything we are, it comes from God and it belongs to Him. And, it, it, and we are stewards of it all. And in this we dis- discover that it's God's grace that He gives to us everything we have. See, this it is it, to give is an act of grace that God displays. Generosity and generous is God's nature, and God wants His people. You see this all the way through Scripture. God wants His people. He wants you. He wants the church, the people of God, to excel in generosity, to excel in this grace of giving. Grace-based giving is, is giving in response to everything that God has given you. Now, here's the thing. I can have the desire to give. I can have the desire to give, but desire alone does not make me generous. You can have the desire to give, but desire alone doesn't make you generous. The best intentions, the best intentions that you have to be generous, without the discipline to stay on direction, gets you and I, gets us nowhere and accomplishes accomplishes nothing. In addition to that, Just as I can have the desire to give and not act on it, I can also give without the desire to be generous. Now, as you think about that and you're trying to figure that out, let me just help you with that. As a parent and all of our parents in the room, you understand this. You got one child with two cookies and the other child's there or another child is there and you say, share your cookie with that person. You got two, share with them. And they look at you. They're thinking about it, and they begrudgingly pick up that cookie and give. They gave, but they did not have the desire to do so. And you know, as adults, we're not much different. There have been times in my life that God has challenged me to give. But the heart wasn't there. Had no desire to do so. There have been times in my own life with my own kids. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we had an apple pie and it was the last piece on my plate. And my kid, I can have a bite? I'm like, you're not even going to like it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, maybe that's what I thought. I didn't say it. But I begrudgingly gave them the bite. You know, we can give but not have the desire to give. You know, and, and now as I've considered this in my own nature, I've compared my nature with the nature of Jesus. And, and this is my own discipleship process. I'm always looking at myself in the nature of Jesus and how do I, how do I respond to be more like him? And, and like on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus, he says, hey, you've heard it said, and he does this. And the Sermon on the Mount is not just to teach us on how to follow Jesus. I believe the Sermon on the Mount gives you and I a picture of who God is. And it's remarkable. 
His generosity on display. And there's this one part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you do to them what they do to you, right? And so in this, he then goes on to say, but I tell you, and whenever he said this, he just flipped the script on everything. He says, do not resist an evil person. When they hit you, strike you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. And then he also says, and if anyone wants you to, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Did you catch that? Wait, 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 wait a second, Jesus. And then he goes on to say, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them, how many? Two. Yeah, you've read it. Or you've heard it. And then he says this. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I don't know about you, but it, I, that's hard for me to do. But you know what this tells, it shows you and I? Not just a picture of what God is calling us to do. This reveals the nature of God toward all humanity. I mean, you just think about how God did this with all humanity who was his enemy, who rejected him, who even killed Jesus, the Son of God. See, this teaching is exactly how God treats humanity. And God's radical generosity, you know what God's radical generosity does in our life? God's radical generosity exposes the sinful hearts of our humanity. That's what this teaching does, is God's generosity exposes the ungenerous heart of me. Now, this is why God wants us to be generous. Because when we're generous, we... We are godly like he is. We're made in the image of God, and he wants us to reflect his image. He doesn't just want us to give, though. He wants something deeper. He wants you and I to have the desire to give. Now, last week we jumped into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-7, through 7, where Paul gives the Corinthians this challenge to excel in the grace of giving. And we're going to continue to read this. We're going to start with verse 7. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8. Flip it on into that uh, in your phone. And um, we're going to continue to read this text starting here, where he introduces this idea of excelling in the grace of giving. So he goes, But since you excel in everything, talking to the Corinthians here, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then he says in verse 8, I am not commanding you. And some of you need to underline that because all your life giving has been a command. It's not, he goes, I'm not commanding you. He goes, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And last week we learned that he's comparing it to the, the desire of the Macedonians. And so we learned that last week. But then he does something here. He goes, he jumps into the gospel of Jesus in verse 9. He says, I, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Now, Paul, just so you know, is about to tell them what he believes is best for them. Based on what Christ has done for all of humanity, based on what Christ has done, he's like, I've judged what is best for you, Corinthians. 
And, and like, if I'm there, I'm like, yeah, I want to know what's best. I mean, don't you want to know what's best for him? Because it might be what's best for you and I in today's age. And I guarantee it's what's best for you and I. So you ready to find out? You're going to have to wait. Because he does a callback right here. And, and, and he does a callback. He reminds the Corinthians of something. He says, last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Paul reminds them that sometime last year, the Corinthians were just not the first to give. And, and we talked last week about a little bit about this idea of what they were giving to, this, this Jerusalem project. We're going to see what that is here in a second. He goes, You're not, you weren't just the first to make a step of generosity and, and act toward this need, but you were the first to share your desire to do so. You were had this, the first to desire to give. And so before we share what is best for the Corinthians... We need to know why Paul mentions this moment from a year ago. So here's a little bit of the historical context in this. And here's a little bit of the history that was going on. First of all, this, the mother church in Jerusalem was highly persecuted. And they experienced a great famine. Uh, Paul, uh, who was sent from the mother church uh, in Jerusalem, he was sent to these Greco-Roman areas, these Gentile words, worlds, these non-Jew worlds. And, and in this, uh, back in Jerusalem, while Paul is outgoing, in Jerusalem, persecution had broken out. And we read about that persecution breaking out as early as uh, AD 44, and that, we see that in Acts chapter 8. And, and in this, persecution breaks out. And while persecution ha- is happening, and it's also happening simultaneously with the church in Macedonia, we talked about that last week, but Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, is experiencing a double whammy. It's not just persecution. It's also famine. They're experiencing famine. In Acts 11, verse 27, and, and, and other first century texts that we know of, they, they, that, were, that we have, it also mentions this famine in Jerusalem that, that, that had come to this area. And not only were they persecuted, they, these men, the, the Christians there, were not just at a disadvantage because they're Christians and people wouldn't trade with them. Now poverty had stricken and they were extremely impoverished. Now before we, before Paul left to go start these churches, we know something happened. The, the apostles Peter, James, and John encouraged Paul to remember the poor in Jerusalem as he would travel to the wealthier nations and the wealthier cities and the Gentile world to spread the gospel. Paul held this same desire as Peter, James, and John. And and, and he had this desire to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And it was more than a desire. He had a commitment to help. He made a commitment to do so. In Galatians 2, chapter 10, he actually writes about this and and he reflects on the moment when the apostles asked Paul to remember the poor in Jerusalem. And he communicates through his letter to the Gentiles about his commitment to them. And he writes that he's eager to fulfill that commitment that he as he would continue to plant churches. And history shows us this. See, history shows us that Paul had the desire to help and had the discipline to fulfill his commitment. See, you and I are here today because of this. You and I are here gathering in a a building as the church. The building's not the church, we are the church. Because of this continued generation, just generational act of generosity. See, Paul wasn't just eager. Paul had a plan to be disciplined to the commitment he made. 
Paul planted the gospel. He would continue to plant the gospel. He did it in Galatia. He would do it in Ephesus. He would do it in Philippi. That's the area of Macedonia. He would do it in Thessalonica. He would do it in Corinth here. And he would continue to plant churches through Eastern Asia all the way. He ends up in Rome. Amazing efforts. And as he would start these churches, he would encourage them to give to the work of the kingdom of God. And he would encourage them to give to the poor in Jerusalem because he made a commitment there. Then Paul returned the offerings, and he returns the offerings to Jerusalem, which Luke records in his record of the Acts of the Apostles, and he records that in Acts chapter 24, verse 17, that, and, that they returned this gift to them, the people in Jerusalem. See, Paul reminded the Corinthians in this letter that we're writing, that they we're reading, about this commitment they were eager to make a year ago. Paul doesn't just remember how they eagerly desired to give. He reminds them and he celebrates that they actually made the first gift that he took back to Jerusalem. So now back to what Paul mentioned earlier and he wrote earlier when he said, in his judgment, this is what is best for you, Corinthians. In his judgment, this is not what is best for the poor in Jerusalem. This is, not what, this is what is best for them, the wealthier Corinthian church. And this is how he follows that up. Verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So in other words, Corinthians, this is what is best for you. Finish what you started. Let the eager willingness to do it be matched by your completion of it. Let your desire, your desire be matched with your action and do it in accordance to all God has given you, according to your means. And then in verse 12, he says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one, what one doesn't have. In other words, give according to what God has already given you. You cannot give what you do not have. This is why you hear people say, and it sounds like an adage, but it is a biblical truth, you cannot outgive God. You know why you cannot outgive God? Because you are giving from the means that he has already given you. You can't outgive him. This is a spiritual law of being under the grace of God's generosity. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, our desire is not that our others, is, our desire is not others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there, that there might be, look at this, equality. It's not about equal suffering. In our day and age, in our, our sinful, broken humanity, we make it about equal suffering. They're suffering, so you gotta suffer as much as this class or this, this people are suffering. It's not about equal suffering. Something so, it's about equal desire. And it's about equal participation and equal action. See, Paul wants equal sacrifice. And this is how he just explains it. In verse 14, he says, At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. So your extra right now is going to supply their needs. And when you're in need one day, their extra, because of their discipline, is going to supply what you need. The goal, he follows it up, says the goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
See, it's not about everyone having the same means. It's about everyone having the same shared desire with the same commitment and the same action to this grace of giving. This offering is about something more than money. This offering is about something more than wealth. This offering is about something more than the need. See, God has a deeper purpose for generosity. And you and I need to understand this because if we don't understand this, we don't understand the nature of God. And we don't understand our role in the church. God has a deeper purpose for generosity. See, shared generosity is a response of unity. The deeper purpose is to be united. Paul, he says, this is why he says it's about equal sacrifice, it's about shared sacrifice, it's about being united in what you sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the other's needs. And we're united with Christ Jesus. This is the beautiful thing, is every one of us are united with Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus is God's generosity on display. And we all have salvation, not based on what we can give God, we have salvation, not in our own efforts, our own works, our own mistakes, or my past is better than your past, and it's not as a, you got, you got less of a, a, a record against God as I do, and therefore you're more valued. No, 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 it has nothing to do with that. It's all about God's act of generosity on our part. See, generosity then becomes a testimony that in Christ we are all equals, that's what generosity is, is exposed is that we are united together because of what God has given us. It is therefore, there's no popularity contest in the body of Christ. There's no popularity. And it's not just because there are different roles in the body of Christ and there are different responsibilities. It doesn't mean that one part of the body is more valuable or more important or another part of the body is less valuable or less important. It's, it's, it's because we're all unified together. Because Jesus died for all of us equally. Regardless of our sin, we were all enemies of God. And we all need salvation. Jesus, aren't you grateful he doesn't play favorites? Because if he did, you and I would not be here. He died for all. So all could receive salvation in the same way Faith by grace, by grace, having faith in Christ Jesus alone. See, we are not all just united with Christ because of Christ's work. You know what that does? We are all united together because of Christ's work. Therefore, we are all united in our response to be generous just as God is generous. Generosity is our response of unity. It is a response of unity. This is why our primary goal in this unshakable initiative is 100% engagement. That's why if someone were to write a check right now for $2.5 million and say, don't talk about it anymore, I would say no, because that's not the goal God wants for us. It's about us all being in this journey together and all expressing our love for God in this way together. See, it's not about uniformity, everybody giving the same amount. That's not what this is about. This is not uh, about being unified in, in, in any other way than other, other than we are unified in our generosity together. See, it's about e being unified that we're going to sacrifice 
together. And it's about unity in this desire that we have, that we all have, and a unity in making a commitment and a unity to have a disciplined plan to be generous with our giving. I want you to listen to what the the theologian N.T. Wright says about this passage of scripture. He says, Paul is desperately concerned for the whole, for the unity of the whole Christian family. That's the church. And he sees the possibility of doing something so striking, so remarkable, so practical that it will establish a benchmark for the generations to come, a sign that Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians really do belong together. This generosity is a marker, not just for this generation that we're living in, but it's for a legacy and for generations to come that there will be unity in the body of Christ. This is a response of our unity. Shared generosity is a sign of our unity that we all belong together. And this is what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is all about us being with Christ and being with one another. Jesus came. Just think about the gospel itself. Jesus came. The incarnation of Christ is Jesus came to serve. And he generously gives his life as a ransom for many. Just you, You've heard that verse before. That's God's generosity on display. God came and he served and he, Jesus gave his life. He gives his life as a ransom, a generous ransom payment so that all people from every class, from every nationality, from every race, from whether male or female, can find hope in the salvation that Jesus brings and he accomplishes and he finishes through his life, through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection. Generosity matched with the gospel of Jesus is how the kingdom of God was established and you received it. And generosity is, is how we will match it with the power of the gospel and, G, and how, uh, the, the power of how Jesus is king and he's God. And, and, and in this, when the kingdom of God comes through generosity with our focus on that direction, this is how the kingdom of God will advance through the hearts of many. But it has to be more than a desire. See, a desire alone doesn't do it. It has to be a desire that turns into a commitment that's followed up with an action. Now, here's a teaching big idea today. See, a united desire to be generous matched with discipline and direction powerfully advance God's kingdom. Desire to be generous, it's, it's got to be there. It's got to start there. It starts here, but it's got to shift and it's got to turn into a discipline with direction. Otherwise, all you have is intentions. And you know what intentions get you? Exactly. Nothing. Intention without direction in your life, intention without a discipline in your life, that's why we're disciples. It takes a discipline. And without that discipline to stay on that direction, it gets you and I nowhere. But the intention with direction and discipline, which any leader knows, that's what will end up in the destination that you desire. See, in our destination that we desire is what we fixed our eyes on, the kingdom of God. 
We fix our eyes on Jesus and we put seek first his kingdom. And the desire to give generously is with the direction and the discipline to, to put our eyes on Jesus and the discipline to follow him and to stick with it for the sake of the gospel. That is where the power of God is going to match with the discipline that we have and the generosity we have so that salvation can come to all who believe. See, that's the power of God. That's the gospel. Is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. That's what advances the kingdom of God. That's alone what will advance. That alone is what will change the world. It's only his government, his kingdom, that will change what we need so desperately in our world. So what do we share? Some quick things. First, we share a desire to love God by loving others the way Christ Jesus has loved us. We're united in this desire to love God. So therefore, we're generous in our love to others. Look again at what Paul says and how he connects the gospel in verses 8 and 9 to generosity. He, he's in, in the good news. He says, but I want to test the sincerity of our love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then he compares it with Jesus ultimately. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the gospel. This is the power of God for the salvation who all, for all who trust Jesus. Jesus paid, became poor for the sake of the world through, so that through his poverty, you and I can inherit the riches of the kingdom of God for all eternity. And we receive God's love by faith, by grace, in the, through God's grace through Jesus Christ. And it's been given to us in Christ. And now we respond by uniting together in generosity. So we share in this desire to love God and we're going to release his unshakable love. We also share a commitment to accomplish the vision Jesus has given his church. The church is the only organization directed and ordained by God to advance God's kingdom. No other organization has it. Now, there's some great other organizations. We support many of those organizations. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. We're going to support many of those other organizations that are doing righteous things, great things. But the church is the only organization that advances the vision of the kingdom of God. Other organizations do great things, but none of them are, making, are responsible for making disciples who share the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. Only the church is responsible for doing this. This is why church, the church is so important. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He says, go, therefore, go into all the world, um, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he gives them this promise, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, we are united in our commitment to build up the body of Christ because the body of Christ is, shares the gospel message to win others to Christ and teach them to follow Jesus and disciple them in that way. This is why we invest as a church family. We invest in the discipleship of the next generation. This is why we want to invest in the discipleship for you. This is why we invest in evangelism. This is why we invest in missions here and overseas and in church planting. This is why we invest in caring for the body of Christ and building up the body of Christ. This is why we invest in it. This is why we are generous. And... We share in the sacrifice of generosity. 
It's about every one of us doing our part. That's why Paul says in verse 14, as the second reminder, the goal is equality. We are united together in this. The goal is that each and every one of us share the desire and each and every one of us share the discipline and generosity so we can advance God's kingdom. So how do we unite in generosity? Well, this is how we unite in generosity as a response to the gospel in desire to advance the kingdom of God. We give voluntarily. It must start with the desire. It's got to start here. Not out of compulsion. Look at verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you. You know, as soon as it becomes a command, you know what, now it's a religious box to tick, and God doesn't want you to tick a religious box. We don't give because this is a religious box to tick. This is from the desire that comes from knowing that God has given you and I everything. And, 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 and our desire is that we are godly like him, that we are, are made, that we are restored into the image of God. And one of the things about his nature is gener- he's generous, and therefore I have the desire to be like God and be generous like him so we voluntarily give not out of it's not compulsory giving giving we give freely and next we give proportionally with a plan desire needs to be matched with discipline and this takes a plan you may have a desire to give but haven't been able to give because you just haven't had a plan to give And all throughout Scripture, there is a plan that God has given God's people all the way throughout Scripture. And it it predates the law. So for those that say this is the tithe is a part of the law, I'm going to prove to you it's not a part of the law. It predates the law. The tithe was a response that Abraham, before the law was even given, Abraham responds to the blessing he receives by giving a tithe. Because he recognized everything that he was blessed with came from God and belonged to him, and this was his response to give. It was the plan to give. And all throughout Scripture, we see this, that, that, all, that God would direct his people to give the first and give the best. Because that's what our response is to everything that God has given us. So this is the plan God gives his people. It's a, it's a proportional, and it's a plan, and it shapes God's nature in you and I. In 1 Corinthians, this is how Paul helped the Corinthians create a plan. He said, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Do what I told the ch- On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. You know what that is? That's a proportion. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You know what that is? That's a proportion with a plan. So next, then, we move on. We give for the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus was given for us. This is the motivation of generosity. We give because we recognize everything we need. Think about this. And if you think about this in the natural, you don't understand this, but think about this in eternity. Everything you need you have already freely received in Christ Jesus. Everything. That's why you can be content in any situation. Because everything you need, not just here, but in all of eternity, you have already received in Christ Jesus because everything you have, everything you are, including your salvation, comes from God. 
So what do we do? We respond with generosity. This is the motivation. We give in, in that way. Look, look what he reminds them of the gospel. Though he was rich, though Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus died. So you and I, while we will not have all have the same inheritance and riches and wealth in this life, we will all inherit and share in the wealth that God has for us in eternity. This is amazing news. We will have it together. We will have our needs met, and he promises that he's going to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. And we are confident that we have an infinite supply that he wants to share with us. See, in our church family, we say something as part of our culture. We say we're most like Jesus when we serve. It's even more than that. We're most like Jesus when we serve and give. Because God is generous. God is extremely generous. And so are we. And because God is generous, we will be generous. See, desire with discipline and direction are powerfully good when they align in the direction of the kingdom of God. And that's what I want us to pray about today. And I want us to pray for one another. Husbands, I want you to pray with your wives. Wives, I want you to pray with your husbands. Maybe you got a friend around and you want to pray for them. This is what we need to share in this unity together. And this is the prayer I'm going to ask you to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do this with one another. And then we're going to respond in singing as we worship. But this is the prayer I want you to pray. Father, may we be united in our desire and efforts to give generously. May we be united. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and, and I'm going to ask you to do this right now with somebody. I want you to pray out loud. You know, prayer needs to be something that the church is okay with doing and confident in doing. So I'm challenging you to pray with one another regularly. But I'm going to ask you to pray. Find a couple people. Pray with them over this, and we're going to respond and sing together. Online, we encourage you to join in. But will you join us right now? Pray with one another. Pray this prayer.